0: Welcome to another Scrumcast. I'm Roy Water. I'm Derek Neighbors. I'm Clayton lengel
1: I'm
2: Drew Lesweir.
0: I'm Chris Conybeer.
2: I'm Jade Meskill.
1: So a few weeks ago, Derek posted an article uh, by John Hagel on uh, the trust paradox. Derek, do you want to kind of explain
3: why you uh, presented that to all of us? Yeah, Absolutely. I, I think that um, you know when, when we deal with teams and we talk about teams um, quite a bit, um, I think, you know, if you look at Patrick Lianisi's, uh Five Dysfunctions of Teams, um, I think that trust is one of the pillar or the key elements to building a team. Um, and I think that we see all the time um, people talking that, yeah, 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 we need trust, and even, oh, yeah, 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 our, our team's got real high level of trust. But then you see all sorts of behaviors that are entirely counterintuitive um, to how people who trust each other would really behave. Um, and I, I think the article really uh, did a good job of talking about, um, you know, that everybody acknowledges that trust is important for team building. Yet the way that most teams go about trying to build trust with each other is the exact opposite way in which you would build trust. And that, thus he kind of comes up with the term. It's it's kind of a paradox that the the things that people are doing that they think are building trust within their teammates are actually destroying trust in a much uh, more rapid pace. And so I thought it was relevant to say, you know, hey, I think that um, the biggest part of software development with Scrum is building team and how teams interact. Therefore, trust is probably one of the biggest uh, values that we have to deal with um, in it being successful at what we do.
1: So what are the values that people feel builds trust and, and how do they conflict with, uh, with what actually builds trust? So,
4: in reading the article, I thought one of the things that was pretty interesting is uh, talking about teams nowadays and the fact that too many times people think that they have to be perfect. People think that you can't have have flaws, you can't have issues. And when you're trying to put on this perfect face all the time and you're trying to um, act like all your skills are perfect and you don't want to show where you have deficiencies with the team – that, that is one of the points that, that is counterproductive to trust because you're hiding something. If you want to trust somebody, you can't just have trust in parts of a relationship. You have to have trust you know, in the relationship as a whole, and that, that's for the positives and negatives. Look at any relationship that you have, be it a marriage, be it a team, be it you know somebody you pick up on the street, whatever. If you want to build trust with them, you have to do it on all levels of that relationship.
3: I think one of the best stories I, I heard about this is that we were talking um at one of the scrum gatherings about pair programming and uh Mike Conan mentioned that you know uh that he was one of the first people to kind of start uh with some of the pair programming and he said you know the the story of how we got there was kind of funny, and that was um that you know I had been working with uh, one of the big five consulting firms or I can't remember the the exact uh, place he was working uh but um he took an assignment that was um, a job that was all code in C, and he said, you know, I really had never coded in C before, but I had kind of done some C in school, and I figured I could probably fake my way through it um, and kind of learn over it, and I really wanted uh, to do that particular work, and so he said, you know, I, I flew flew out there, and I got in there, and I uh, was really nervous that I was going to be ousted that, you know, that they realized would realize I didn't know C. And the next day, another guy that was joining the team um, from the company came and flew in. And um, uh, we started talking about the work and push came to shove. And uh, I felt vulnerable for a minute. And I went ahead and I told him, you know, hey, I just want to be totally honest with you. You know, I really don't know C, but I'm a bright guy and I think I can really get up to speed. I kind of, you know, fluffed a little bit my experience on this. Um, But I'm sure that, you know, you guide me and, you know, you'll never know the difference and the other guy said, oh shit, I did the same fucking thing, we're screwed. And so they said, well, how about this? How about every time we're working on code, we're working on the exact same piece of code so that if we completely fuck this up, they have to fire us both. They won't know who to fire because we're both doing the same thing. And he said, I'm pretty sure we invented program- uh, pair programming um, because of that. And I think that, you know, why it's a funny story, I think it's a perfect evidence of how when you actually build trust in our vulnerable, which I think is one of the key components of trust... To be able to say, like, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm not really competent in this, but I'm willing to make up deficiencies and work my best to get the best out of us. and somebody else is able to make the same thing, they came up with a solution that ultimately was better for everybody, meaning the project was entirely successful, they both really got up to speed with C, you know, best of all outcomes, whereas if both of them would have held up and tried to lay blame that, well, you know, oh, well, he just doesn't know what he's doing or whatever... The project would have failed. Neither one of them would have learned. You know, it would just would have been disaster across the board. I think too too often in teams, there's no uh, availability to express vulnerability that actually allows for good solution making to happen and good bonding to happen.
2: So you, you know, you're by saying that you're going against tons of management advice and you know personal growth advice. You know, you're supposed to never let them see you sweat and always project confidence and be the big alpha dog. So, you know, what you're telling me now is I've got to be this wussy guy who lets everybody know and, and cries whenever something goes wrong, right?
3: I, I pretty much carry a binky and a blanket wherever oh, I okay. go.
2: I, I thought I'd seen you with that. I was yeah. wondering what that was for. So one of the
0: things I thought that was interesting in the article where they talk about how um, the kind of thing you're talking about, Jay, was built on how corporations treated branding for so long. And it was, you know, you, you only show your strength and you hide your weaknesses and, and act like they don't exist. And so that's how people treated their personal brands where they just, you know, it's like if you look at any resume, I think most people look at resumes and if they look at their own resume, they think, oh, this is all great stuff. And then they read someone else's resume and they're like, man, this guy is so full of, you know, BS, right? And so I think what Derek's getting at is the idea that, you know, we need to be able to um, to expose our strengths and kind of, by exposing our strengths and Uh, acknowledging where we have deficiencies, kind of like what Chris was saying, uh, that's kind of the new way to uh, be confident and project confidence and do the right thing and, and, you know, make progress.
2: So what you're saying is when uh, somebody asks me what my greatest weakness is in an interview, I shouldn't say that I work too hard. Yeah, I
0: mean, I should say that I I, I interview at companies where people ask stupid interview questions.
1: (laughs) So I feel like intellectually... there are at least a few people out there who who know that but don't act on it because it's very
4: difficult. It seems to go against human nature. Why do you think that is? I think part of it is, uh, one, it's against human nature, but also take a look at the training we had. Take a look at the way that we've been raised in a lot of corporations. You know, We're on an engagement right now where I'm seeing patterns that – I used to work and live in, and I worked and lived in this non-trust culture. And now I have a level of trust with my team and my family here to, to, to be able to say <laughs> that. crying I, again. Yeah, <laughs> to, to be able to say that, you know, I can stand in front of you guys now and say, I suck at this, and somebody will be willing to help stand me up. Or I can ask stupid questions, and people are willing to help me because we realize that we're, we're building on one another. But also, you don't turn around and go, what a dumbass for that where before in the corporate world, you were treated like that. so And I think that goes back to some of how, how are we teaching people what is excelling? what What is making you different than somebody else? And sometimes that's all about finding your secret project and working on it and hiding it from everybody <laughs> instead of making sure that you're doing something as a team and learning together. I mean, we're seeing where we have silos right now and some of the information on our current engagement and there are trust issues right at the very bottom of that. you know. And I think that if, if these people were able to trust and open up a little bit more instead of worry about somebody else looking at them and going, "You suck at this." They have so much knowledge that they could bring together. They could move together. They could move forward so much faster. So
3: yeah, I think I think a lot of this too is um, a lot of it's fear driven, um, and so fear driven and peer culture driven. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I believe it's uh, Ken Robinson talks talks a little bit about this. You know, if you take a um, five year old into a crowd of people. And you tell them to dance or to perform um, They'll do so no problem And if everybody in the room starts cracking up They'll probably get even more crazy with whatever they're doing Because they're getting interaction If you take a 35 year old person and put them in a room A stranger and say dance They're like, no way And even if they did, if somebody criticized it They would stop immediately and totally shut down um, Because of response And I think I think we kind of have the same self-preservation mode, this mechanism that says, well, I don't want to be vulnerable because if I'm vulnerable to my peers and my peers react in a negative way, um, like I I have no other way to deal with it. And so my way to deal with it is to shelter it or camouflage the weakness so that I'm not attacked in that area. And I I think, you know, you know, from uh, Robinson's perspective, a lot of that's the heart of where creativity is, right? When you're when you're in a mode where you're able to say, I'm going to try things that people might laugh at me for, is when you have the highest propensity to do the most magnificent things. When you're operating in a mode that I don't want to do anything that anybody could possibly laugh at or criticize at, that you're actually shutting down your limit, you're limiting yourself severely. And I think that teams and organizations fall into that trap where they're so concerned about looking bad to each other or... Um, being laughed at, that they basically strike out all ability to do any kind of innovation or do any kind of, uh, you know, really gel at that next level. And I, I think it completely impacts the the way they're able to interact and be vulnerable with one another.
0: Yeah, and I agree with that. I think that uh, when that is the status quo and you're working in a team like that or an organization like that, I think it's a perfectly rational thing to to have that behavior and say, you know, if my performance review and my, you know, pay raises and how I'm viewed on this team and my advancement in this corporation uh, are determined by, you know, my strengths and weaknesses compared to people at the same level, you know, I think it's perfectly reasonable to say, like, okay, I'm going to hide all my weaknesses and I'm only going to, I'm going to have my secret project and try and make everyone else look bad. Uh, I think that's a very rational thing to do.
1: So if you're in that type of situation where you have a culture of people that are throwing each other other under the bus and trying to make themselves look better like drew if, if you were working in an environment where everybody is throwing each other under the bus like mm-hmm. what what would be the best way to approach that and to try to rectify that type of culture so i think showing an example of openness is would probably be the best way to do it like be the one where if you make a mistake hey oh it was my fault i did this you know you know, can you help me figure this out? Pulling another teammate or something. And then you're
2: fired and no problem. Yeah. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think that the openness people will see that, you know, if everybody's throwing each other under the bus at a corporation, I don't think that, I don't think that that people are going to notice, right. The higher ups are going to know that, okay, they're always just blaming each other. They'll probably take a dose of, of transparency with, you know with happiness, and they 'll probably embrace that and enjoy that and it 'll be refreshing to them so uh, that 's probably how I do
2: it. Well, I think I any other buses your manager yeah. yeah well I think one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is they 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 believe that their success is, is hinging on their ability to perform some skill to the best of its ability, not realizing that what 's more important, especially to management, is your ability to make everyone around you better and if if you can rise to the top as as leading that type of a change, people respect you much more for that than your ability to be the best.NET developer out there, you know, when it comes to this particular niche technology, like, oh, I'm so awesome and I can, you know, I can code anything. In a in a team situation, it's really more about what are you contributing to the team? If you can make everyone on your team to that same level, then that's way more impressive, way more valuable. And that's going to build a lot of trust by investing back into the people around you.
3: Yeah, so I, I think that there's kind of two two segments to it, right? The first segment is if I'm a CEO or a manager that's trying to get team to have trust, I think that the you're, you're kind of spot on, Drew, that there's really two ways to do that. One is to model it, right? So be open and transparent and really model that to the team and look at how you're incentivizing the team. Right, so yep. um, whether that be through their their performance appraisal, whether that be through how you articulate and express that you're happy with them, make sure that you're reinforcing behaviors of vulnerability and transparency and authenticity, and not performance. Right, so that you're you're putting more reward towards people modeling a value system of trust than you are whether they're succeeding or not. So look at it. as a team member who maybe wants to create a um, more trust-filled team where maybe you are or aren't getting management support. Um, I would say the same thing. It's really about modeling, but I would also say one of the things that Hegel really talked about in his, his article that I think is totally relevant is for 30 or 40 years, brands got away with being um, absolutely int authentic in masking what they were horrible about, in highlighting what they were great about, and everybody believed that. We've come to a point now that um, You know, Once you spill 100 million gallons of oil into the ocean, it doesn't matter what you do to try to PR that up. People know that that PR is bullshit. And I think we're getting to a point in most teams that we've worked this way. Anybody who's been in the workforce for any amount of time, and I say any amount of time, 12 months or more, knows that there's so much bullshit in teams um, that they know when people are glossing and when people are highlighting the right things and pushing the the bad stuff under the table – that it's such such a breath of fresh air when a team member comes in and is authentic and helpful and vulnerable that it becomes really hard to ignore that. I mean, it, it, you, you, you know, people, you earn the respect of management and of your peers generally so much quicker because you stand out so much more than everybody else um, kind of around you um, that it's almost contagious. So I think that's kind of the hopeful message in this is I think right now most teams are fundamentally broken, But I think it only takes one person within a team to really start modeling this for it to really become contagious and and really start to infect the team and the organizations involved with the team.
1: I think that's it for today's Scrumcast. Thanks for joining us.